transformed from the inside out. Most of us are more concerned with extreme outward change than inner change, wouldn't you agree? How many of us this morning got out of bed and didn't even go to the bathroom uh, to do anything to our hair or our faces and get our clothes on, come to church? That's not the way it works. And we're really concerned about the way that we look, and you guys ought to be happy that I'm concerned a little bit. <laughs> Reality TV focuses on extreme outward change and shows like Extreme Makeover, and then there was one in 2004 called The Swan. You remember that one. It was a broadcast on Fox in which women who were judged to be ugly were given extreme makeovers. What man in his right mind would tell a woman she's ugly? I can't can't wrap my mind around it. Even if you think it, you don't say it. But this was, and you think about reality TV when it first started getting popular. Back in the 70s, I I was working down in St. Louis, East St. Louis on the railroad, and we watched TV at night, and for some reason, a St. Louis station had a program entitled The $1.98 Beauty Special. And they would look for, excuse me, but they would look for some, some pretty, not-so-pretty women. I, I just soon say not-so-pretty and ugly. And what I was saying is making fun of them or whatever, but they'd have this, and they didn't have, they'd have them do talent and, and on and on. It, we thought it was funny because we was all a bunch of idiots. But anyhow, at the end of the show, they brought out this giant check and gave it to the winner. It was, all it was, it was $1.98, and that's what they got. I, I couldn't grasp that, actually. But th- this show here, I mean, you talk about an extreme. It says that, that they, they, each contestant was assigned a panel of specialists, a coach, a therapist, a trainer, cosmetic surgeon, and a dentist who together designed a program of total transformation. So they were trying to change the outside. The contestants' work, ethic, growth, and achievement was monitored over the course of three months, and each woman, two, men, two women were featured at the end of the episode. One went home while the other was selected to compete in the con- beauty contest at the end of the year to see who would be named the swan. Here's a clip about being transformed on the outside. I don't know if this guy looks any better or not. You be the judge. Diana's on Google franicking, searching for the number of that place where they, <laughs> they do that. That's, I think I have bags. You get old, you get bags on your eyes. I was up at the mall a couple of years ago, and they had one of them cosmetic things in the middle, and this girl steps out and said, sir, you have bags under your eyes. I said, what's the point? <laughs> well, I can take those away with this miracle. This was from Israel. It was some kind of miracle salve or something you smeared on you. I think it was just preparation H disguised. Sorry. 
They say that works. I haven't tried it yet, but uh, any <laughs> other things we do. And the point is, you can spend thousands upon thousands of dollars on the outside. It doesn't change in here. That, that, that's the point. In, in our spiritual transformation, the Holy Spirit transform us from the inside out. God wants to be our makeover artist, creating change from the inside out. Ephesians 5.8 says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world. I think it's a question each day we need to ask ourselves, uh, how bright is our Christ light burning? Here's some hard, sad facts about the church and those who claim to be followers of Christ. We always like positive stuff, and I realize that, but a lot of times you've got to look at everything in perspective. George Gallup and uh, George Barna did two different studies. They were conducted several years apart, and they both concluded that only 10% of followers of Christ live lives different from non-Christians. George Barna, in his book, Think Like Jesus, quoted that. And here's George H. Gallup, the poll man. He says, and I quote, There's little difference in ethical behavior between the churched and the unchurched. There's as much pilferage and dishonesty among the churched as the unchurched. And I'm afraid that applies pretty much across the board. Religion, per se, per se, is not really life-changing. People cite it as important, for instance, in overcoming depression, but it doesn't have primary primacy in determining behavior. If that's true, that's staggering to me. But you think about everybody that, that, that claims the, the name of Christ in the entire world, and only 10%? And see, we don't know that about each other. You, I, the, the person you live with you probably does, but for the majority of us, we don't, we don't see each other that much. The Holy Spirit, as he is presented in Scripture, is a change agent. Therefore, the Christian's life is one of ongoing change, growth and development, not simply one-time changes, but a never-ending process. It's called sanctification. When we come into the kingdom and we turn our lives over to Christ, and hopefully as we evolve, if you want to use that word, we get closer and closer to Jesus, and, and we start setting ourselves apart from different things that are, that are bad for us in our lives. Paul appeals to a slave owner by the name of Philemon, if you remember from last week. He, he wants him to remember how he was and how he is now and how Christ coming into his life has changed him completely. It's changed everything about him. And he's sending this slave by the name of Onesimus back who has became a believer as well. And Paul's saying, I want you to treat Onesimus as a brother. I don't want you to treat him as property. And that's the whole thrust of chapter 1. Verses 1 through 11 reads like this. This letter is from Paul in prison for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. You know, like I said, God has allowed me to go a few places in the world. And we were in Rome once, and we went to Mamertime Prison where Paul was writing this letter from. And uh, you try to picture this word picture in your mind that it's, 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 it's basement. They had to lower him down on a rope. Now they got stairs, but nonetheless... In this cell carved in rock was the sewer that ran from the Colosseum, ran through his cell. So with that stench and, and sitting there in darkness, an old man, his bones were, were starting to feel the, all the beatings that he had and things like that. And he has summoned up power in the Holy Spirit to sit down and write this letter. It is written to Philemon, our much-loved co-worker, and to our sister Appia and to Archippus, a fellow soldier of the cross. 
I'm also writing to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. And in Paul's thanksgiving and prayer, starting with verse 4, I always thank God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing of your trust in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. You are generous because of your faith, and I am praying that you will really put your generosity to work. For in so doing, you will come to an understanding of all the good things we can do for Christ. I myself have gained much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. And then this is his appeal for the Onesimus. This is why I boldly, I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it is the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer just to ask you. So take this as a request from your friend Paul, an old man, now in prison for the sake of Christ Jesus. My plea is that you show kindness to Onesimus. I think of his, my own, him as my own son because he became a believer as a result of my ministry here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been much of use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. So he's reminding you to show kindness. You know, the Holy Spirit wants to change you and I as well. And the first change that we should see is a change of heart. In verse 7, I myself have gained much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because your kindness has so often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Word had got back to Paul that Philemon had changed. Love is a key indicator of a life transformed by God's grace. Jesus called Love for God and love for others is the two greatest commandments. John, the beloved disciple, says that if we don't have love for our brothers and sisters, we don't even belong to God. It was that strong. You know, when you think about in the world and in Jesus' day, and he was making his mark on the world, so to speak, and even through the, the apostles and people after that, they did certain things that God allowed them and worked through them to do certain miracles. And, but it's amazing to me that Jesus said in, in, in John, people won't know you because you can call down fire from heaven or raise a dead person from the grave or heal this hideous disease. Even though that will get people's attention, people will know you by how much you love each other. You, we can't get beyond that. It is, it is the focus. And, and that's the people that we didn't love before. In Christ, we, we love them. I, I talked about this in the first service because I was talking about prejudice. I, I really don't know where it comes from. I think sometimes it's inherited. I watched a couple documentaries on the Jewish-Israeli problem or the Israeli-Arab conflict, and they were talking to these little bitty kids and maybe Ivan's age even, and it had been so instilled in them to hate each other and want to kill each other, even as children. It, it was beyond anything that I can imagine. And I know there's been a lot of race problems uh, in America, and I understand how World War II veterans feel about Asians, especially the Japanese. But can you imagine God coming into a soldier's life that has seen atrocities, and they have this hatred and vengeance and rage toward another race of people, and the Holy Spirit changes that. And they look on them as brothers and sisters. As we look, as the Japanese look at us, and as we look at the Japanese, of course, the first thing come to mind, Pearl Harbor, and with the Japanese, it's Hiroshima and Nagasaki that 
we wiped hundreds of thousands of people off the face of the earth, men, women, and children. Who can grasp the power that it would take to lay that aside? That, that is my point. It, it, was, it has to be the Holy Spirit. That is the change of heart. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. This includes you who were once so far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has brought you back as his friends. He has done this through his death on the cross in his own human body. As a result, he has brought you into the very presence of God. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. That should evoke at least, you got one amen in you this morning. How can you say, what can you say? Yet now he has brought you back as his friends. We were his enemies, and now we are his friends Because of Jesus' ultimate act of love and dying to pay the price, we can have eternal life if we only trust what he's done. And we we receive that undeserved love, and it flows through us onto others, even though they don't deserve it. Man, oh man, that's, even though they don't deserve it, I think that's the sticking point with us. It's easy for us to love people that we think deserve it. But what about the ones that don't? There are people that have done things in this world that need to be punished, and our justice system usually does that in a way. But it comes up to us as followers of Christ, do we, do we discard those people? Do we ignore them? We can't let their crime go unpunished, but it, it's always a... It's always a fight within ourselves what we do with those folks. And I think the scripture says we, we try to love them and bring them into restoration. And it is very, very difficult for us. A lot of times we like strict vengeance. We, we want the hammer to fall. And I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's an issue that we all deal with in our own hearts. It's about the whole issue of the death penalty, believe it or not. It's up to you. It's what you think, actually, in a sense. But... Tough business when you think about that, but God calls us to love those that don't deserve it. Fruit of the Spirit is love, and the Scripture tells us that the fruit is an outward evidence of an inward change. So that's the first thing God wants to do when he comes into our life is change our heart. Secondly, he wants a change of course in us, a new direction. I pray that you may be acting and sharing your face, active in sharing your face, so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. I think of, of, of the whole letter Uh, To Philemon, this is the most fascinating verse in the whole letter. Be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. In other words, it's for us to comprehend comprehend the full joy that we have and be able to share that with others. I have never met a whiny, complaining, griping believer that was actively sharing their faith. They're, they're almost non-existent because their focus is somewhere else and they're always filled with joy. And I would say this morning as you think about where you're at and what church means to you and uh, worship and those kind of things, and if it's, not, if it's not where it should be, maybe if you think it's dull, it's, I think you should try sharing your faith a little more often. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in change. So that's the underlying story of Philemon, that because Christ changed his life, Paul wants him to to treat Onesimus the same way. 
And the only way that can happen is through the power of the Holy Spirit. There are things in life that we can't get over, and the only way that we're going to get over it is through the power of God because they're almost insurmountable in our humanness. The changes the Lord wants to make in us aren't always easy, and sometimes they cost, or they come at personal cost, time, and effort. Christianity is not meant to be an add-on to our life, but a, a fundamentally different way of experiencing life, of a transformation of who we are and what we do. It's, it's a life viewed through the eyes of Christ instead of our own eyes. It, it was like b- before I, I came to Christ, I was, I was blind. Like right now, you guys are blurry. So you could do anything you want, make any obscene gestures at me or whatever, and I, I wouldn't be able to see you. But not that you'd do that, but nonetheless... I was blind in my spiritual life, and all that mattered was, was, and I've shared this a million times, but the main focus and drive in my life was fun. It, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what uh, my wife thought. It didn't, didn't really matter, really. As long as Eddie was having fun, uh, I, was, uh, I was a happy camper, you know, but then I met Jesus, and it was like putting on another pair of glasses, everything Everything changed. Uh, God changed my uh, perception in life. You, you know, I think sometimes, I, I think preaching uh, and, 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 and getting together like this, uh, a lot of it is rote. A lot of it is going over and over the same things that we've already heard, but we need to be reminded because as people of God and still having that old nature, we have to be brought back and brought back and brought back over and over and over again. I I can't, I can't tell you how many times I went to the altar in my home church to try to get straightened out. Every week it was the same thing, and I'd fail, and I'd fail, and I'd fail, and I'd have to come back and come back and come back. That was just my catharsis of, of coming to an altar and praying and having people pray with me. I don't like to think about my past that much, especially the things that I did to hurt people, the things that I was and the things that probably all of us have done, we can't believe we did it. And heaven forbid if we'd ever do it again. But the fact is we need to sometimes look back to see where God has brought us. I pray to God today that each one of you is not in the same place you was when you bended your heart to Christ. That you are on a continuum, in a process to be more and more like Jesus. I hope you're down the road. Heaven forbid if you're still at the starting point. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, Paul says that some things that a lot of people are think are harsh. The Holy Spirit takes things and make them seem harsh to us when we are at fault. Don't you know that those who do wrong will have no share in the kingdom of God? Paul is reminding the Corinthians because they had a problem. Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin who are idol worshipers, adulterers, male prostitutes, homosexuals, thieves, greedy people, drunkards, abusers, swindlers, none of these will have a share in the kingdom of God. There was a time when some of you were just like that, and now your sins have been washed away, and you have been set apart for God. You have been made right with God because of what the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God have done for you. And the problem is with us sometimes, all these things that we were, if this rug was the kingdom of God, we bring them into the kingdom. We don't, we don't shed them. And as the closer we get to Christ, the more problems it causes us because we know deep inside that we're doing things that are wrong. 
They are wrong against God, but we have clutched so tightly to them, it's almost impossible for us to let them go. That, that, is, the, that is the problem. The Scripture doesn't say that is what some of you are, but what some of you were. If you're still a gossip, if you still slander people and tell lies about other people or spread innuendos when you're not, then you're not changed. You might think you're changed, but you're not or you wouldn't be doing that. You're not among the transformed. If you are greedy or sexually immoral or abusing substances or cheating on your taxes, you need to get right with God. You need to have a change of course. You're going in the wrong direction. It's like, <laughs> I've showed this clip before, but it's a, it's a classic from Trains, Planes, and Automobiles. John Candy and Steve Martin going the wrong way on a four-lane highway. People's driving up on the other lane, rolling. You're going the wrong way. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit does with us because it is so extremely easy to get off course and get back on the old road. Because a lot of times, it's a lot easier to walk the old road than it is the new road. Because when you walk the old road, you don't have to fight the old nature because he's happy. And Satan's not going to bug you so much because you're, you're walking with him, so to speak. A lot of times we do have to stop, get out a road map, <laughs> and figure where we're at. Men hate to, hate to admit they're lost, but you get lost every once in a while. I think that's the way in our spiritual lives. Finally, the Spirit wants you to give, give you a change of value. Verse 11, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Onesimus, the name means useful, but Paul says you and I both know he was useless, but now through the power of God, has changed him, and he has much worth, actually. Our change in value is not just theoretical, but a literal one. When Christ transforms us, we should be known for our value. We should be honest workers. We should be people of integrity wherever we're at, and people should sense that in us. And we leave the room, they could say, in all honesty, there goes a person of integrity. And that integrity is built up through the power of God in our lives to change. When you believe in Christ, Christ works a miracle in you. You are permanently purified and empowered by God himself. The message from Jesus to the two Christians is simple. It's not what you do, it's what I do. I have moved in, and in time you can say with Paul, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Galatians 2.20. And before you get out of bed in the morning or when your feet touch the floor, to say, man, God, this is your day. I am expectant. I am looking forward to what you have for me, the people in life that you're going to have me reach out and touch in Christ's name, the windows of opportunity that I have to share my faith in some way or form. It's not always words. That, that is, for, for many, this sounds like a fairy tale, but it can be lived let me tell you, it can be lived. And when we wake up in the morning and say, you know what, God, I'm going to live for Eddie today. I'm going to do what Eddie wants, and it doesn't matter. Somebody calls me, I'm going to put them off. If I need to go visit somebody, give somebody some money to help them, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm just, I'm just going to pamper me. You know, I, I, it's okay to do that every once in a while, but when that becomes a habit, it's, it's not so good for the kingdom. Our values are changed more and more as we learn to walk in Christ. Just like children learn to walk in our spiritual lives, we start out as babes in Christ. We learn to crawl, and then we learn to walk. 
But just as babies begin to walk, they fall a lot. And sometimes we get bumps and bruises and skinned up places. And at first we fall more. And then we start to get a little stronger and we stand up and we begin to walk a little more spiritually. God in his great love and mercifully tenderly helps us along just as the stumbles of a toddler do not invalidate the act of that child's birth. Rest assured that the stumble of a babe in Christ do not annul or cancel out our spiritual birth, even though the enemy tries to tell us of that constantly. Man, oh man, how, how, can, you, how can you call yourself a follower of Christ? You are pathetic. You are a loser. Why don't you come back Walk my road, because it's a lot easier for you. But he doesn't really tell you the consequences and the end result, actually. Problem comes when we refuse to become more mature and sure-footed in our walk with Christ. That, that, that's the problem. We get obstinate. And then it's, it's not long before we do, like I said, before we lose that joy. And uh, sometimes we're forced to come to church by our parents or our spouse, and we're really not into it. Actually, when you start down that direction, it's easier to stay away from believers, especially the happy ones. It's easier to stay away. It's easy, easy to, to isolate yourself, and that's what the enemy loves. He loves isolation. Paul admonished the Corinthians for staying babies instead of growing up in Christ. Corinth was a wild place. They had prostitutes, male and female, free temples. You could go in and, and have sex anytime, 24-7, with anybody that you wanted. So Paul fought this in all of this. In essence, he told him to get off the bottle, the milk, and start eating meat of the Word. He said, in, in, in today's language, he might have said something like, feed yourself, put on your big boy, your big girl pants, and rid yourself of your diapers. It's time to get out of diapers. Paul was saying, in essence, I am sick and tired of hearing your whining, your crying, your blubbering. I'm sick of changing those dirty diapers you need, to put, you need to put that away and, and, and grow up, actually. Sink your spiritual teeth into God's Word. Actually, Paul's words were directed and guided into the Corinthians' hearts through the mighty power of the Holy Spirit as he does that to us, as it comes right to our heart. It's not me. I'm just the messenger, and it doesn't matter whether I use voice inflection. I can scream. I can holler. I can throw stuff or I can talk monotone. That should have no bearing on it. That's my opinion. It's the fact that it's God's Word, and it goes out, and it sticks in our heart, and the Holy Spirit enlarges that in us. And that is the point of us listening and obeying the Holy Spirit. Bottom line, Paul says, cowboy up and embrace mature values in Christ. Christ has planted that seed in us, and I don't know if we, we, we can see the difference what a new heart makes. It would be like you've had a bad heart since you was a kid and you needed surgery. So when all the other kids were out playing, you had to stay inside and watch. And as you matured, same thing happened everywhere you went. So you get out, maybe you even go to college and you get a job and you're in, a, you're in an office building and you walk in the lobby every morning and there's the stairs and here's an elevator and all the healthy employees take the stairs and you have to take the elevator. Well, the call comes the heart's ready. You finally waited. The transplant is ready. You get your new heart. You, you get healed back up, and you get to work. And here you're faced in that lobby on the first day. And do I take the steps, or do I take the elevator now that I've got a new heart? And that's your choice. 
I think a lot of folks just go with the old, with the old heart, and they don't see the change. I, I think it's the same way in our spiritual lives. With that new heart, we have to start listening to it and, and allowing God to work that in our lives. And as we change, the Holy Spirit is allowed to, if we allow him to change us, we have a change of heart, we have a change of course and direction, we have a change of values, which is continually. But there's also a change of our eternal value. You lived in this world without God and without hope, but now you belong to Christ Jesus. When we belong to Jesus, we have value because we have been purchased with his precious blood and we have eternal life. I'm going to close with this clip about a man who overcame obstacles to learn to accept Christ, and he allowed Jesus to change his heart and his life's course and change his values, and after that, the band will play, and if you need to pray this morning, if you need prayed with, you are sure welcome to come. Thanks, Kim. been shot at, I've had a gun put in my face, people tried to stab me, I've even had a hand grenade put in my face. It's a grim, dirty, horrible life. Both my parents were extremely damaged people. There was a lot of violence in the house. My father was a violent alcoholic, my mother suffered from mental illness. A lot of their violence and their illnesses were poured into us. To cope with being scared all the time, I myself became very angry and very violent. By the time I was 18, I was working as a bouncer, running around with gangsters, committing all sorts of heinous crimes. And I put on this front to the world, which was, I was big and I was tough, but I was so fractured and damaged by everything that had been done to me and what I'd done. I used to spend every minute of every waking day consumed with guilt and remorse about what I'd done and what had been done to me. And life seemed to have no point. And it cut to a, a crescendo where I was literally looking at the sky saying, if there's something there, I need to find out this because life's got to be more than this because I don't want to be here anymore because life's been, it's been a hell of a struggle the whole time. A lady that had come into my life who spent 13 years, I worked for her very briefly, but 13 years this lady never gave up on me. She prayed for me, had a family praying for me, she had people over the church praying for me. And then one day I contacted her out of the blue and said, do you still go to that church? And she brought us along. Something chimed because we came back. And, and we came back again. And very quickly things started to make sense to me. And the day I met Jesus, and I felt like, all the poison, all that pain was, was, was oozing out of me. And from that moment onwards, for the first time in my life, I have peace, utter, unbridled peace. I'm so excited about conference this year because I know that hundreds, hopefully thousands of people will come along and meet Jesus and have their lives completely changed. Having had what's happened to me, where once there was anger and hate and fear, now there's just love and joy and hope.